Hi, this is Mike Lewis. This podcast is an audio version of the panel discussion on the new book, The Orthodoxy of Amoris Laetitia, by longtime Where Peter Is contributor Pedro Gabriel. Pedro joined me from Portugal, and we were also joined by three well-respected, renowned experts on Pope Francis's thought, the English writers Austin Ivory and Stephen Walford, as well as the Mexican philosophy professor Rodrigo Guerra, who was joining us from Rome in his new position as the secretary to the Pontifical Commission on Latin America. It was a very fruitful discussion. We talked a lot about the phenomenon and the controversies surrounding Amoris Laetitia. I'm very proud of the work that Pedro has done in putting this book together. It's the fruit of a lot of research, a lot of work that he put into his own articles and where Peter is, but this book serves as a comprehensive and definitive response to any conceivable accusation or controversy that has been made by Pope Francis's critics about this beautiful document, the 2016 Apostolic Exhortation Amoris Laetitia on Love and the Family. Unfortunately, a lot of Catholics have had problems with this document, egged on by Catholic leaders like Cardinal Burke, Archbishop Chaput, uh, the EWTN Network, First Things, uh, numerous Catholic writers and theologians, a lot of the faculty at the JP2 Institute have really tried to push the idea that this document, when understood according to Pope Francis's intentions, is heterodox. There are a lot of reasons for this, and there are many clear reasons why this interpretation is wrong. So I encourage you to join us and listen to this discussion. we're live i guess there was no countdown hi everyone this is mike lewis um <laughs> welcome to the uh the book launch for uh for for pedro gabriel's new book i'm going to bring up pedro onto the screen um as we start this discussion i hey everyone's up having a little bit of technical <laughs> adventure uh right now because i have not used Streamyard since our last live episode for where Peter is, which was probably six or eight months ago. Um, but welcome, uh, viewers, listeners. We have a nice crowd of people watching. Um, why don't we start with a prayer? Now, I know that group prayers are kind of like... Um, so uh, before we introduce our panel, Stephen, why don't you kick us off with, with an Our Father, and I'll do a Hail Mary. And then, and then, and then we can, um, and let's pray for the successful launch of this book for Pope Francis and his continuing ministry and for peace in the world, especially in Europe, in Ukraine. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy, thy name. Kingdom. 
come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. All right. So, no intro song, but I think two intro prayers is a good way to to start this this launch event. Um, why don't we start uh, by introducing our panel? Um, I think all of you know who Pedro and I are. Uh, you know, Pedro and I are two of the co-founders of the website wherepeteris.com. Um, Pedro is our star apologist and star analyst. I don't think anybody on the planet knows more outside of the Amazon about indigenous Amazon spirituality and uh, and and figurines. Um, <laughs> and really, he helped put us on the map um, with breaking down that issue, that controversy. But I think I would have to say, and I think Pedro will agree with me, was that the event that really set actually almost all of us into motion, into realizing uh, that there was this opposition to our Holy Father, Pope Francis, um, was the resistance to Amoris Laetitia, um, especially the dubia that was put forth by four cardinals. Um and uh, I know, and so I'll, I'll go around the, the 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 group a little bit. I am the only person in the Americas in this in this group. So it's it's evening. We have four Europeans, four ish countries represented. Now we do have another. Rodrigo's originally from Mexico, so he is a you know he's represent you know the Americas. Um, we have two Englishmen, but one of them is in Wales at the moment. And, uh, and Pedro is joining us from Portugal. So truly international gathering. Um, and I think this is the first Where Peter Is event where the British have had the plurality <laughs> of participants. So congratulations. Um, first, I'd like to start with, in the order that I met each of you, um, Stephen Walford. So a lot of you uh, know Stephen Walford um, as a one of the early defenders of the orthodoxy of um, of Pope Francis. I remember when Amoris Laetitia came out and I read it, I understood what Pope Francis was saying. I understood the doctrinal distinctions. I understood why it was orthodox, but then Catholics I knew, Catholics I respected, all of the publications I read were not articulating um, the Holy Father's teaching and the way that it was meant and explaining why it was, you know, a, why it was a legitimate uh, development in continuity with Catholic doctrine and tradition. Then along comes a British writer and pianist, Stephen Walford. Uh, an article appeared in La Stampa in Vatican Insider um, called, um, let me think, I can remember the title, Amoris Laetitia, where truth and mercy embrace written by Stephen Walford and Stephen wrote a nice um, 
he, he wrote a, a series of articles. He wrote an open letter to the Dubia Cardinals. Um, he was one of the first people that was on the receiving end of the internet trolling that a lot of us are accustomed to now um, for his defense of Amoris Laetitia. And really, he served as an inspiration to me, um, you know, to to defend Pope Francis. And, and you know, what can an ordinary Catholic do um, to help the, you know, to help the church, to help clarify the magisterium, especially when so many voices that what can an ordinary Catholic um, you know, have, have turned on the Pope. So Stephen, welcome. And maybe you can say a few words about this book and a few words about how you became involved with the Morris Letizia. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Um, so, well, first of all, congratulations to Pedro. Um, it's been a sort of a privilege to be, you know, involved a little bit, um, with the, uh, promotion of this, of this great book. Um, and I think it's absolutely necessary, um, I think the way Pedro has articulated how this document of Pope Francis is a hugely important, necessary document for this this era. Um, you know, we still have the the, the issues with you know, groups that uh, um, have an issue with Pope Francis and Amor Letizia, and uh, Pedro has done a fantastic job in articulating how this is in perfect continuity with the magisterium of previous popes. Um, and I really would recommend, highly recommend this for, for everybody to read to really understand. Pedro goes into it in, uh, in, in far more detail than, than I did in, in different areas. And I'm um, so grateful that he has, um, because I think there's, he's left no stone unturned. And uh, anybody who reads this with an open heart um, I would very much hope would, would come to a, a better understanding of what the Morissetizia is really about and and how it's grown organically out of the previous magisterium. So, um, but just so, so well done, Pedro. And uh, like I said, I really would recommend it for everybody. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say that... Oh, sorry to jump in, but um, I wanted to mention that, yeah, when when Pedro told me he wanted to write a book on the orthodoxy of Amoris Laetitia, I was like, didn't Stephen already write that book? And actually, the two books are very complementary. I think I think Stephen's book is, um, it addresses the major controversies and the major apologetical issues, um, but it's also more of a, uh, I think it's a little bit more of a spiritual book. I think it's more of uh, directed towards families, directed towards uh, spiritual directors, how to how to pastorally accompany, and not that Pedro's doesn't do that, but Pedro's is much more of a work of apologetics. Um, I think it addresses the controversies um, that have been brought up, and we've seen all of them, you know. And I, and I don't, and and the thing is, it's like when there's that seed of doubt that's planted, that it's almost impossible. Um, you know, you knock down one and then another one comes up. And um, and so, Pedro, I don't know if you have anything to say to Stephen. Uh, sorry to jump in and, and manage things. Oh, and one more thing. Uh, if you see scrolling at the bottom of the screen, there is a 50% discount code if you order directly from the publisher. Now, being an academic press, the book is a little bit expensive. He says there's an ebook coming out, but 50% off. And it's a reasonable, I, I think it's a very reasonable price. Um, 
and the link is available on YouTube. It's on where Peter is on the two posts about it. I put it on the Facebook blurb. So um, you can message me on Twitter if you can't find it. You can write an email to Austin Ivory and he'll get it to you. Just, you know, know that you can get 50% off with the discount code Amoris. So <laughs> Pedro. So yes. Uh, Stephen Walford's book uh, is e extremely good. Uh, he His book is referenced several times in my book. Uh, uh, I think that you are correct that our books are complementary. Stephen Walford's book is uh, more positive in the sense that Stephen Walford tries to explain uh, the, the Amoris Laetitia. And the orthodoxy of Amoris Laetitia, he tries to establish a continuity between Amoris Laetitia and Caritas in Veritate and uh, Thomist, uh, Thomist theology. Um, so it's good for people who uh, um, want to know more about Amoris Laetitia, to know what it's all about, how we came to Amoris Laetitia, how Amoris Laetitia came to be. Um, my book is more on the sense of addressing every single argument that people put forth uh, against the orthodoxy of Amoris Laetitia. So uh, you are correct. Uh, Stephen Wolfer's book is in this is more in, more theological in that sense. In he's trying to explain the theology behind Amoris Laetitia, and mine is more apologetical. Mine is about refuting the arguments that people have been spreading throughout these years and trying to uh, trying to address them all. And, and that's one of the things that actually I, I, it's funny because when Pedro writes for where Peter is, I say like, did you mention this? Did you mention that? Did you bring this up? Did you bring that up? And Pedro being a doctor, scientific mind it's like no i am limiting myself to the information that's available and i'm working with that if i don't have proof <laughs> of this then i'm not going to go into it and yeah. um you know i i tend to be a little bit more imaginative or creative or extract and and pedro is able to work directly from the text of amoris Laetitia, the statements of the pope the official teachings of the church the things that are officially on the record to demonstrate uh you know, this argument, which sadly really needs to be made, especially in, I mean, you're doing a service to the English speaking church from Portugal as a native Portuguese speaker. So thank you for that. Speaking of English speaking, Austin, <laughs> we're going in the order of how I met you. So um, Austin, uh, Austin Ivory, the biographer of Pope Francis. And I know that in um, your second book about Pope Francis, Wounded Shepherd, you actually go into the discussions at the Synod on the Family, which two synods on the family that were very controversial. Um, and and Rodrigo has some very uh, personal stories about that one that I hope you'll share a couple of them. Um, but, the, you know, and, and a lot of the argumentation about how this teaching came about as the fruit of discernment and the Holy Spirit and how Sean Bourne came forward with this you know, with this solution that was able to get many of the, you know, a lot of the Synod Fathers on board and uh, and then, you know, led to this. And, and maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Feel free to say some nice things about Pedro and his book. 
nice Ooh. things about last time I spoke to Austin was our uh, podcast Field Hospital with uh, Mike Lewis and Jeannie Gaffigan produced by US Catholic. Sorry for the plug. But uh, our very first guest was Austin Ivory. So he's always been at the center of these uh, Pope Francis stories, controversies, <laughs> questions, celebrations. Thanks, Mike. Um, well, it's delightful to be with you, to be among friends. I I've actually feel like I've, I've helped to nurture both of these great books, both Stephen's and Pedro's. And uh, Stephen's I kind of came to after it was written. Um, but we had, didn't we, Stephen, some interaction at the time that it was coming out. Yeah. Um, Pedro is more involved kind of from the beginning of the gestation of the book. And I, the thing I just want to say, by the way, before anything else, because, you know, I was thinking before this, what is it I really want to say about this? And what, what really impresses me about both of these books is the extraordinary diligence and, and, and effort and research that you two have put into this. And neither of you are, are kind of academic theologians. Neither of you are, if you like, professional Catholic communicators. Um, and what's so striking, and what's so moving to me, uh, and this is, by the way, true of where Peter is as well, is that you're genuinely kind of grassroots Catholics who've been spurred into action by seeing the extraordinary mistaken opposition to this document from certain sectors in the church. And so there's this kind of, it's a real close to me, both of these books are apostolic endeavors. And I totally agree with the distinction that you're both making between the two books. Um, and because I've you know, said nice things about both books, I won't, I won't you know, carry on with that here, but just to congratulate you on, on this extraordinary ministry that I think you've exercised from below. And I, I, it's something I think that I would like to analyze. Rodrigo and I have spoken about this. Here. Why is it that it's taken, you know, these two guys to, to do what actually other people have not been prepared to do, who were in a way, you know, who were, should have been obliged professionally to do it. Um, so that, that's the nice thing I want to say. Both books are fantastic. Um, recently, of course, I've, I've read Pedro's and, and endorsed it. And just the systematic way in which he goes about taking down the objections and examining them and taking them seriously, which is something I think is very important to do, uh, is, is really remarkable. So um, just big congratulations, uh, Pedro. Yeah, so my, my contribution to this has been in, in Wounded Shepherd. I have a whole chapter dedicated to the Synod on the family. And it's and the attempt of the chapter is to show that this was synodality in action. This is how the church develops its teaching. You know, it is by a gathering of the bishops who uh, listen very carefully to the people of God. They listen to the, to the signs of the times. They take Catholic tradition. They don't in any way seek to change that tradition, but they seek to develop it in the light of the new circumstances and the challenges. And I think what you had in the two synods on the family was a, was a really exemplary example, uh, a brilliant example of the development of Christian doctrine in action. And so that, that was my contribution, but I, I wasn't qualified. I didn't have the energy uh, I don't know, I got involved in plenty of debates at the time <laughs> uh, 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 with, with the opponents of Amoris, but only actually when I read um, Stephen's book and then, and then Pedro's did I realise actually that it required a much more systematic response, and that's what I think you guys have given, uh, so congratulations, and particularly Pedro, on, on the new book, it's just fantastic, thank you. But it's funny because when I read that book, I um, Wounded Shepherd, I, I asked you, um, well, where did you get, I hadn't read those arguments before. And, and he said, mostly from Stephen's book. And I was like, oh, I, I'm, I've been meaning to finish yes. that one. <laughs> I did use it. I did use it. <laughs> so, um, Rodrigo, it's, it's such an honor to have you here. We have with us 
I believe, the second highest ranking layperson in the Vatican Curia, um, working, uh, you know, worked for a long time um, with the church in, um, in, in Mexico, Salem, the church in, in Latin America. And within the last year or so, you were appointed to serve for the Pontifical Commission on Latin America. And you've moved, you've uprooted your life to Rome, um, you know, and hopefully I'll see you in a, in a few weeks when I'm, when I'm over there myself. Um, but it's, it's an honor to have you. Uh, Rodrigo has, has, has dipped his toe into the, uh, into these debates. You wrote some articles for uh, La Servatore Romano. My Italian is horrible. Uh, is that what the Vatican newspaper? <laughs> Um, but maybe you can weigh in a little bit. I, I know you, you know you've read Pedro's book. You've you've followed our work. Um, you know you've been a uh, you've been a great blessing and 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 advisor to uh, to me and to to others um, in this group right here. So uh, maybe you can you can share a little bit and and a little bit of, I guess one thing that you bring, um, you know I think Pedro, Stephen, and I. Um, we're all, uh, you know, JP2 Benedict Catholics, but we were sort of not working for the church. We we just observed these things. Whereas you were involved with a lot of these, you, you work closely with a lot of the the theologians and and bishops and priests who um, started arguing against Amoris Laetitia. And I don't know, like like me, like you. I mean, for me, the dubia shocked me. I just couldn't. It was astounding that that you know cardinals would put their names to a letter, essentially accusing the Pope of of heterodoxy. Um, but with that as an introduction, um, <laughs> feel free to, to to weigh in a little bit on uh, on what you uh, uh, any thoughts you might have. Oh, the, the, the honor is mine. The, the, I am very honored to be in this gathering with you. I'm very glad, very glad. And for me, it's a sign of, of times to discover that the, main, the, the front line of the defense of the Pope, mainly in the field of Amoris Laetitia, is a front line made by laymen, made by laymen. I, 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 I have to quote my, my wonderful friend and professor, Rocco Butiglione, who wrote a wonderful book on Amoris Laetitia. Yes. So friendly response to the cardinals and and it's a very nice book and uh, I would say he he has developed uh, by himself uh, some wonderful arguments to to show the the hermeneutics of continuity among John Paul II Benedict XVI and Pope Francis in the field of Maurice Letizia. Uh, second uh, I would say these little group of friends that we are gathered right now here in this lunch, uh, uh, it's just, it, we are all laymen. I, I would say only two important bishops have uh, introduced uh, their words in the debate. Uh, Victor Manuel Fernandez from Argentina with a little article, but very powerful, published in the a theological Selam. review of the uh, of Selam of the Latin American Conference of Bishops, and Christoph Schoenborn with also a small book written, uh, I think, in French and in German uh, uh, on Amoris Laetitia. But both are less, let's say, uh, 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 
Cardinal Schoenborn and Victor Fernandez are more involved in the ecclesiastic atmosphere. They write mainly for, let's say, from a pastoral approach. And I would say that Pedro Gabriel's and Stephen Wolford's books are a, a, a rigorous, rigorous argumentations with philosophy, theology, and canon law. And I would say uh, they are some of the most important contributions of Catholic apologetics nowadays, showing that laymen are not an appendix of the hierarchy, but we are through, through uh, participants, through subjects of the life of the church. And now I connect with Austin Ivory's comment, uh, comments. Precisely, I arrived to all these debates because I was invited as an expert in the Extraordinary Synod uh, for the Family in the year 2014. And uh, um, when during my first week working there, I began to feel that some bishops, instead of talking bravely in the aula, in the all the sixth uh, aula for the synods, uh, uh, they were talking uh, um, violently in the sidewalk out of, of, uh, of uh, the Holy See. It's, uh, uh, sent, uh, let's say, triggering uh, rockets or bullets against the Holy Father and against some issues that we were discussing in that time. So uh, uh, for me, it was a very shocking experience to see, for instance, my dear, very dear and loved professor, Carlo Caparra. Uh, we were friends for a long, a very long time, but he was not happy hearing uh, some concerns, some questions, uh, some doubts that were introduced by some bishops not not uh, in a bad way, but they were true pastoral doubts. How do they have to have to manage difficult situations with marriages, with even with married priests in in the Eastern rites, and and all these discussions were in the hall. And suddenly, Carlo Cafarra eh, 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 told me that he was not happy with this kind of discussing these delicate matters. Uh, we uh, have a long uh, uh, dialogue and a kind of little discussion in that moment. And it was very sad for me. It was very sad for me to discover that my dear, very dear friend was not happy at the bottom with the Holy Father, with his invitation to, to hear the arguments of the other with humbleness and to speak bravely. This was the main invitation for, for that sign, for that sign. And, um, and um, it, it seemed, uh, in that very moment, I began to think that something was happening in the world of the so-called followers of John Paul II. Uh, I, I, I was educated by, by the main leaders of this world, by the books of Angelo Scola, with the classes of Carlo Cafarra. And by the way, I was educated in my PhD by Joseph Seifert, who wrote maybe the most important uh, argument against Maurice Letizia in a German uh, a journal of theology. And uh, uh, 
my conclusion after uh, some, some years and after all, all this debate is that, uh, yes, for sure, there are some doctrinal arguments that we need to discuss and to clarify, uh, like always. <laughs> but the bottom is not a mere doctrinal point. The bottom is to recognize always in the successor of Peter, uh, 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 the true stone where the church is uh, somehow supported and based. If we recognize Francis and the next popes as the success, true successors of Peter, this means that we have Catholic faith. This means that we recognize that even in a limited flesh, the mystery of the church can operate through, uh, 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 through, through the person of the Pope. So I would say, uh, yes, I am very happy that uh, Pedro Gabriel's book appeared. He touches the, the, the let's say, the, the most important and interesting level for scholars like me, the, argument, the, the level of argumentation. But at the bottom, I, I, I would love to ask Peter Gabriel and Stephen and you, Mike, and Austin, but in my opinion, the problem is a problem of faith. The problem is a kind of spiritual problem. Mm -hmm. If we are open to be educated by the universal pastor of the church, or if we, or if we think that we somehow we are superior, we are a superior hermeneutic, point of judgment that we became suddenly a kind of superior uh, um, uh, criteria for understanding faith and even our uh, and even for understanding my own Christian life. If we are measure of ourselves, I think we are in a very problematic position that characterizes, by the way, the history of the heresies in the Catholic Church. All of them are very different, but all of them coincide in this Gnostic problem, in this problem of thinking that my mind is bigger than the mystery that the mystery of faith that I have to uh, that I uh, I am facing. Um, so uh, I'm very glad that the, these books appeared. I, I am interested in hearing your opinions on if you find also with me uh, a kind of spiritual problem in the objections. And I would say uh, it's also very interesting that the doctrinal debate is over. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It, and it, I... it finished. And, and some of the most, um, let's say, um, energetic objectors now are we say in Spanish, sleeping in the, uh, let's say, in, in, not like death, but sleeping like uh, the, 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 the Cinderella. No, no, the, what's, what's it? The American story about the lady that sleeps. Oh, uh, Sleeping Beauty, Snow White. They're sleeping. Uh, and they are not uh, arguing, building metaphysical arguments, understanding uh, Thomas Aquine. No, they disappear, just disappeared 
and, uh, and now we are facing new challenges, but we need to learn from the experience of Amores Letizia in order to, to, to help our church to listen, to speak bravely, and to believe again in mercy, in mercy. Never detached from truth, but always, always uh, shaping truth in order to be accepted. Thank you for your patience. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, yeah, go ahead, Pedro. I was just going to call on you, so go ahead. Okay. So, uh, this is a very interesting point. Uh, first of all, I would like to thank you all for being here. And also, thank you all because every single one of you contributed for to this book at different stages in different ways. But I I owe a lot of this book to every single one of you and your support. Uh, regarding the the spiritual problem, I completely agree, and that's one of the reasons why. Uh, I, before going into the, the arguments, uh, I start my book with an introduction that is kind of like the Pascal wager, uh, which is try to open the minds and hearts of the people who might read the book. Because let's face it, many people might just um, might just read the book in order to refute it, but some people might. Uh, actually find some uh, find some value in reading this book and my idea is precisely to open their hearts and minds because if they are closed and think eh, i already know what's it all about i know that amor's letizia is heretical i know that i know that uh, pope francis is not a trustworthy teacher well then of course you're not going to benefit from the book not because of any fault with the book but because <laughs> if your mind is closed nothing will go no, nothing will go in so the idea is to present like a Pascal wager, which is, okay, so what if you're wrong? I mean, what what do you lose in just opening up the possibility that the Pope is, that the Pope is correct and you're not? Why, I mean, you don't lose anything to just consider that option for a brief time that is enough for you to read the book and then you can judge by yourself if these arguments make sense or not but first you will have to try to be open to the possibility that maybe you still need to learn something about it and that's okay everyone needs to learn no one knows everything that's why god instituted the the church, that's why God instituted the Pope, because he knows that no one knows everything. We need guidance. That's that's not a shame, actually. It's a sign of maturity to acknowledge this. And I think one of the things is, is as you know, everybody has a different level of engagement with the church. I mean, some of us the new, you know, the new apostolic exhortation comes out and our noses are in it wanting to, you know, read for every single word. But really, the Catholic is called to conversion, to holiness, to evangelization at their level, at their, you know, with using their gifts. Um, and not every Catholic can determine on their own um, the, you know, 
we aren't expected to to compare it to what you know to previous magisterial statements and and things like that. I mean, if you're into that, and a lot of people are very good at it, you know, that's that's good. But really, the, the purpose of the magisterium is to provide the authority. And maybe I can bounce this question off to Stephen because I know he's dealt with it a lot. But I feel that the Amoris debate and what it opened up is in addition to being a spiritual issue is really it's it's two different debates it's a debate it's an apologetic debate is this in continuity is this orthodox does this fit in with catholic tradition but even more so or even more important and i think that this is reverberated throughout this papacy is what is the magisterial authority behind it what is the reliability of the magisterium what can we as Catholics trust from the official teachings of faith and morals from the Pope? And so, Stephen, maybe, I, I know that you were one of the people that really sort of got me into reading about the papacy and the authority. And it's a, an issue of really trust. You know, what they what they decide as a topic at the Synod, we shouldn't be distressed by that because we trust that what comes out of the Synod is going to be part of the magisterium is going to be guided by the Holy Spirit, you know, not, you know, not gotten, not transmitted directly. I mean, there are all kinds of theological nuances, but it's, it's, you know, the Holy Spirit is protecting the orthodoxy of the church and the teachings of the Pope. So Stephen, I don't know if you have thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, just, just, just one thing I just want to go back to before I address that, um, like something that Pedro was just talking about, um, you know how he, he would hope that people would read the book with an open heart just a an anecdote that i hope um would be encouraging to him but also to to those uh listeners and those who would, who would consider buying the book um about uh maybe six months after my book came out i had an email from a, a catholic bookstore owner in america who said to me people have been coming in, buying the book, reading it, and totally changing their attitude to Pope Francis. And some of them had been to confession. And that, to me, you know, all the online abuse, everything, uh, I was I was so touched by that. It was, you know, it, it, it just, it, it made me think, you know, that it was the, the, the slog of writing and um, putting up with that, you know, the kind of attitude that sometimes was all worth it to have even one person, even if it was just one person who would who come back to loving the Pope um, and, and in humility accepting the magisterium. So um, I, I sincerely hope that um, Pedro will have the, uh, the same uh, success in terms of God working through that book and 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 bringing back love for the Pope and his teaching. Um, so in terms of the magisterium, um, we know the Pope is the guarantor of all matters of faith and morals. Pope Benedict stressed that, Pope St. John Paul II stressed that, it's in the various CDF documents, Stone Veritatis, for instance. Um, there is divine assistance even in the ordinary magisterium that isn't covered by papal infallibility and even in matters of um, discipline. So, and I think, 
it's interesting. I can't remember the exact date. Austin or Rodrigo might remember this, but it was either the last speech, the speech the Pope gave at the end of the first, the extraordinary synod, I think, or possibly the homily at the closing mass, where I think for the first time in his papacy, he he really put his foot down and stressed that you know the, the Pope's authority. And I have to say, for my own um, personal uh, spiritual life, you know, I was I was brought up in a you know a conservative Catholic uh, background. Um, you know, I knew the message of Fatima inside out when I was very young. Said the Rosary every day, um, and had love for the for the Pope. Therefore. Obviously, before you know, in the in the, that the almost immediately from when Pope Francis was elected, and and I remember reading the Rarate Chaley blog the very night that the Pope was elected, and could just could not believe what I was reading. Well, I, I sort of could because I had I had it I had seen it even in the latter years of Pope Benedict that uh, some people you know some people will never be happy whoever the Pope is really, um, but. For me, it was that security of the Pope, whoever the Pope is, the Holy Spirit will 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 give guidance. He will see, seek to understand the signs of the times, and that guarantee of matters in faith and morals that does extend into the the ordinary magisterium. We're not talking about infallibility, but there is protection even in you know, matters of prudential judgment. Some things will will be developed. Obviously, we've seen with the death penalty. Um, and, and, and other matters, authentic doctrinal development. But we can be absolutely sure in humility that if we stay with the Pope, we remain with the Pope, whoever the Pope is, then that is pleasing to God. And that is what will bring unity to the church. So for me, it was it was always a case of no matter what happened in those those, those synods. And this, of course, this was before I'd actually really got involved. It was It was after... It was after that, in um, you know, in the, it was in the, the back end of 2016 where I really started to think this is this is not on what is happening now in terms of Catholics. I would consider similar to myself, although I don't like labels at all, really. But um, uh, so you know, before that, I, I had calmness, peace, because I, I knew that the Holy Spirit would guide. Um, and just like he's continued to guide Pope Francis, and uh, but going back to one other point about the the, um, the sort of the, the, the spirituality and the, the um, this really does, and, and I, this is one thing I really liked about Pedro's book about that early section about the metanoia, which is I think so so crucial. There is a, a huge lack of humility, um, and I suppose if there was much more humility in the world from everybody, there would be peace in the world and uh, unity a lot more than there is but i think this is the one pride pride is the one big weapon of the devil to bring disunity in marriages in families um in the church and this is what i this is what we really need it is a metanoia it, it is to say we in humility we don't have all the answers and we jesus has given us that rock um, to be protected by that that rock, and that's why you know I love Pope John Paul II. You know, as most of us here, you know, he, he was the Pope that uh, that we grew up with. 
um, <laughs> Benedict. I absolutely love Benedict's homilies, unbelievable homilies. But what I really love about Pope Francis, it's this, and it's the fact that I'm not sure this is where the Holy Spirit is guiding the church and will continue to guide the church now. It's that pastoral realism. And I thought one of the things I really thought about for, for a couple of years in this early stage when I got in, into this, we have the, you know, the doctrinal truths, but then there's also the, the truth of the situation that every person is in, in their spiritual life, in their relationship with God and their relationship with others. And I think this is where Pope Francis is, is just, it's fantastic. It, it's not enough to, to have the, the manual of, of, you know, of moral theology, the doctrines. We have to go into each person's life. What is the, what is the truth of that person in that, in that situation? Why are they acting in the, the way they are? How have they possibly been damaged in different ways? What has led them to be in the way they are? And this is where I think, where Pope Francis tells the priests and the bishops, you have to have the smell of the sheep. We have to get into the, the nitty gritty, hands dirty. And that, that, I think this is one of the, and it comes back, I think, probably to an issue of, of what is actually to, to, to really live your baptism consecration, to actually be an authentic Christian. It's not enough to, to say a rosary. It's not enough to do certain pious devotions or to be a professor of theology or different things. It's about loving God and loving your neighbor, living the commandments. And I think Pope Francis is really honed in on that. What is it to be an authentic Christian? It's why, this is what I think a lot of the traditions don't understand and why Pope Francis is so scathing often of, of, of the church itself. And it's really, to be honest, it's not that different to when Pope Benedict was saying the greatest sin in the, exists within the church, it's the greatest threats are within the church, not without the church. Um, and it, it, it's this, this, this whole element of, of, of living an authentic Christian life in, in every area. And I think that's where Pope Francis um, has really, has really shaped his papacy. But it's sad that he, he, he's, he's, he has to be the most misunderstood Pope in history. Oh, yeah. Now, I, before before moving on to the next section, there have been a couple of people who have asked about a potential ebook. Somebody mentioned Audible audiobook. Um, I, I don't think an audiobook is in the cards. 318 pages from an academic publisher. Now, Austin is the expert in audiobooks. Um, I gave him a hard time because his wounded shepherd, um, and if you're listening right now, whoever this voice actor is, he didn't he didn't know a lot of uh, Catholic terminology. So he talked about apostolic extortions and uh, <laughs> different things like that. But um but you an ebook is coming right and and because of my vision impairment sometimes i i either run it through my my um amazon echo or you know text to speech if i'm you know if it's hard on my eyes but pedro do you have any information about that or um at this moment audiobook uh, is is not something that was considered but but ebook the the ebook yes the ebook is uh, is in the um, it's going to be available very soon okay uh, the audiobook uh, uh, at this moment not yet but who knows in the future let's see <clears throat> i mean i you know call me up on the phone and maybe i'll read it to you if if you're nice to me <laughs> if you if you if you become a patreon subscriber to where peter is <laughs> i'll read you a paragraph for every dollar um no. Okay. So uh, let's talk a little bit. Uh, so we, you know, we don't want to go 
uh, too much over the hour, but um, to come back to the book itself and to loop uh, Austin back into the conversation, um, Pedro wanted to talk a little bit about, or why don't we speak a little bit to the structure of the book, um, which is in four sections. Um, the first mm-hmm. section is just is introductory remarks, and there's some really basic questions here, but for some reason they've they've become major issues, like major stopping points. And the first one is whether uh, his intro, his introductory remarks is a Morris Laetitia magisterial, and do we need to assent to it? And you know, the, the idea of an apostolic exhortation not being part of the magisterium <laughs> seems bizarre, but four days after it was released, Cardinal Burke wrote an editorial in the National Catholic Register saying, obviously, this is not an act of the magisterium. And interestingly, that was the first time I noticed him saying that, but I think he said that about a total of five or six different magisterial acts that Pope Francis has made, from Evangelii Gaudium to Laudato Si, you know, onward. Um, so that's that's section one. Section two is clarifying Amoris Laetitia. And this is something that you uh, wrote a, about a lot in Where Peter Is, and I think some of the articles transferred over, whereas the clear meaning can be gleaned from the document itself and then the Buenos Aires guidelines, which are also magisterial. They're about as magisterial as anything that's ever been promulgated by the magisterium because they have a big red rubber stamp on them that says, this is authentic magisterium from the Pope, you know, but for some reason people deny that it's magisterium. Um, But basically it's clarifying what, how to properly interpret chapter eight, that this is clear that this has been made manifest. And when I was talking earlier, like, oh, well, Pedro, are you going to talk about, you know, this country's guidelines or what this theologian said about it? And he's like, no, I'm sticking to what has officially come from the Pope. That's, that's the way Pedro's mind works. And I mean, I, you know, that's much needed because if you got my version, you know, I'd be talking about, I don't know, my podcast or Patreon uh, halfway through the conversation. Next, uh, the third section is on development, like how it fits into uh, the magisterium. And then you talk about uh, section four, you call some practical examples and you bring forth a case study where um, the sacraments might be, uh, you know, an exception for pastoral reasons might be made to uh, allow to readmit um, a divorced and remarried Catholic back to the sacraments or someone that's in an irregular relationship. And uh, and then you also talk about the Portuguese reception of Amoris Laetitia. And I think one of the things is these controversies, I mean, I guess obviously Germany and Italy have are pretty big. I don't know how Mexico feels about uh, Amoris Laetitia, but it's largely an Anglophone controversy, I, I want to say. But uh, Austin, as, as one of the people who read the book early on and, and was with it from the Genesis, did you think that this was an effective structure for the book and uh, the, um, the arguments laid out in a cohesive way? Yeah, I did. I thought it was I thought it was superbly laid out. Just your question to Pedro about an audio book. I think an audio book is not really right for this kind of book. But what would be good is a series of short videos you know, 20 minute videos in which I think you can summarize each chapter, which wouldn't obviously be a substitute for reading the book. Everybody should read the book, but could be very helpful for to guide people to the book. Um, but no, I thought the structure was excellent. And I was very pleased that you ended with what you call the Portuguese reception, because 
when I was preparing for my book, Wounded Shepherd, and I was kind of looking around the world at where, which countries had really, uh, which diocese had taken on board the Morrison Titsi, I was very struck by Portugal, uh, by, the, by the guidelines particularly that were issued by the Archdiocese of Braga in, in the north of Portugal, which is, for those people who don't know Portugal, it's a very Catholic uh, place. Uh, and they really, uh, and I went to see them. I was invited there, in fact, by the, by the Jesuits. And I spoke to the Jesuits who were involved in implementing, on behalf of the diocese, programs directly inspired by Amoris Lusitia. So for those people who aren't clear about this, we're talking here about programs of discernment where a, a spiritual director, in this case a Jesuit, would accompany a couple uh, or, or an individual as they looked back and reflected on the whole process that had led them to their separation and their divorce and they're and they're coming together and because we're talking here about people who had remarried uh, having divorced but not having an annulment and it, what was very striking was in talking to people was how uh, that this was not any kind of automatic path back to communion in fact in most of the cases that were better dealt with the couples had, had actually themselves decided that they should not be receiving communion uh, or, or rather that they needed a, a long time before that they before they could but in every single case that i that i talked to, that i spoke to people about both the spiritual directors and the couples they were all stories of being reconciled to the church that they said actually we've thought of ourselves as people outside the church but now we've come to see that actually the church is the, our school and our guide this is where we've understood that god is operating in our lives and this is the great gift of Amoris Letizia. And I think this is what Pedro brings out uh, so well in the book, that the great gift of the book, uh, the great gift of Amoris Letizia is that it allows the church to walk with people in their concrete realities and that it excludes nobody, but at the same time upholds absolutely and vigorously the doctrine of indissolubility and indeed also sacramental law. I mean, there was no need to change either church doctrine or the law on the sacraments. What was needed was an approach that was actually far more traditional than, than, than what some people claim. You know, it is the pastoral tradition of the church, which would be recognized, particularly, I think, in the 16th, 17th and 18th centuries as being completely uh, practical and normal. So I think Pedro, uh, you know, I, I think the structure is very good because it, done, it takes, you know, it takes, as it were, a conservative who has been, I say a conservative, any Catholic who has been filled with some of the stuff that you've been reading on all sorts of sites about this and says, and Pedro almost understands and says, look, I know where you're coming from here. I know what you're thinking. Your first objection is this isn't really authoritative. Your second objection is this. And he very patiently walks with, with people who ha have that. So in a way, the book exemplifies the very approach of Amoris Letizia chapter, chapter 8, which is a company discern and integrate, because the, uh, it's a very pastoral book. Pedro has, has written a very pastoral book, which embodies, which performs, I should say, performs the very uh, mercy that Amoris Letizia itself is teaching. Yep. Pedro has this amazing ability to go down those rabbit holes that and, and able to function as a husband and a working uh cancer doc oncologist in a hospital and still crank out these books i mean for me that's like you know i i i can be sucked into these rabbit holes on on twitter or whatever and i remember one time i wrote an article that was uh refuting someone who was writing against women's suffrage and i said i'm not even going to engage the arguments here because this is just so off the wall and pedro actually wrote to me and he, his one critique 
was that I didn't go through the arguments and refute them one mm-hmm. after the other. Like that's, I mean, he really does have the patience uh, mm-hmm. to, to walk people through it systematically. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, um, and, and I, and I commend him for being able to do that and still have a healthy life. <laughs> and so I don't have to yeah. do it. Um, it, it it's, it's, it's what Pedro, it's what Pedro does to relax after a very big surgery and operation, which has taken all day. <laughs> I don't. I don't operate. But, you don't operate. Yeah. yeah. I, I, uh, but yes, uh, it's what I do in my in my spare time. But I also have to thank the support from my family and my, especially my wife, um, because it would not be possible otherwise. And and why don't you go through and thank all the people that aren't here? Because I know that you have an acknowledgments page, and I know a lot of people helped you with this book over the last what, two years it's been in development, so? Yes, yes, it has been <laughs> many, but there's so many people. I always, I I hope not forgetting anyone. Um, so, <laughs> okay. Um, I would like to thank, uh, as I said, uh, my family, my wife for their support. Um, I would like to thank also, um, also David wanted for better reading the book um, and uh, I would like to also thank um, uh, the vicar Patrick Travers for his input on um, on canon law it's also a part of the book um, <laughs> I mean so many people <laughs> Stephen Little <laughs> I think was also Exactly for his editing, his high quality editing. I'm also very thankful to him about that. Yeah, I didn't have time to take on the <laughs> the whole book, but um, I mean Pedro Pedro's English is is amazing for no one. So have you even mm. been to England or or Ireland or the U.S. in your no, uh, no, I, I didn't, but the, I have an advantage that Portuguese people, uh, Portu- Portugal does not, uh, does not dub many, many movies. So I grew up uh, hearing the movies in English and also our education system yeah. uh, is, uh, we have English since a very young, young age. After elementary school, we're already learning English. Yeah. Well, and and now now in your married life, your wife, I guess, and, and yes. you've been to the Philippines. English is the primary language of communication. So. Uh, no, it's not the primary language, but it's a I mean, for you. That everyone... Yes, for me and her, yes, yes, yeah. of course. I don't know Tagalog. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, uh, so, Rodrigo, uh, Rodrigo, just uh, I guess you know now that you're in Rome and and you know you have breakfast with the Pope every morning and right, <laughs> do you? I don't know. Um, do you think that he uh, suffers um, for all of the antagonism over this this document? Is he grateful for the work that people are doing to help support his his pontificate? Maybe it's too big of a question. And maybe you don't have a special any special insight, but you know you you got to know him working for for Salem in uh, Latin America, and um, you know I, I I think one of the things that a lot of Americans don't quite realize we're used to issues being 
and I think British maybe well British people sort of adopt it from from Americans is we think everything is like that we're the point of reference for everything and one of the things that I picked up from Pope Francis right away is the last people he's concerned about with this statement he's making is like U.S. conservative Catholics (laughs) you know it's like making whereas I think I think with Pope Pope Benedict there's a little bit more of like adding on the, but also, and tying up the whole theological point, whereas with Pope Francis, he says something that's true, but he doesn't necessarily throw in that explanation to appease uh, certain demographics. But, you know, I think, I think that that type of communication is needed in the Catholic Church. And I think both, both Pedro and Stephen, and well, I mean, all of us have contributed to it in our own way, but really he needs, I think he needs ambassadors, especially for a church that's a little for lack of a better word, skeptical of his message. Yeah, it's true. And, and I, w- I, I am remembering always the, the case of John Paul II. When he arrived, he was a very weird Polish bishop who uh, wrote a very complex encyclical called Redemptomini. It's a, an encyclical built in a kind of spiral spiral structure. It's, it's not linear. It's very complex following with attention Redemptor uh, um, uh, There are some paragraphs that are, uh, if you take them out from the context, they are super problematic. I remember always when Pope John Paul II, I think in paragraph five says, uh, uh, the wonder, the, the the wonder that we discover in ourselves when we face the dignity of the other, this is Christian faith. This is Christianism. So if you if you only take this expression, this statement by by, by itself. You say this is very anthropocentric. This is the immanentization of the transcendence, the transcendent faith into a mere human experience of wonder before the dignity of the other. And so that's why John Paul II needed a group of friends who helped him to explain, who explain the philosophical background of John Paul II, who explained. The, the let's say the context the, the the present context of his teachings and then who explain also the projections the future the possibilities uh, this group of friends were made by Angelo Scola Carlo Cafarra Rocco Buttiglione Tadeusz Stiction the father Shostek in Poland and many others in in the United States in some moments even even uh, uh, some theocons appeared as kind of friends trying to help John Paul II to explain himself before the North American controversies. Uh, uh, I would say Pope Francis also needs this kind of friends. But in this occasion, the main group of friends are uh, just a few, mainly laymen. And I would say uh, uh, it's because it's even harder than John Paul II to understand the profile of Pope Francis because a Polish priest at least is European. 
at least he read some European authors that are more or less familiar to the main theologians of the Catholic Church in Europe. But Pope Francis studied, yes, he studied the basic, uh, let's say, seminaristic studies, but he studied some authors and some, let's say, trends that are not very common here in Rome. For instance, I have talked here recently with different scholars about Alberto Metol Ferre, one of the most mm -hmm. important Latin American philosophers who, who is not known in, in Europe and mainly in Italy right now. Yeah. There, there is no a single work right now published in Italian of Alberto Metol Ferre. And he is very important, I would say. He is super important in order to understand the geopolitical approach of Pope Francis to many issues in, in contemporary work. Pope Francis eh, eh, also eh, eh, studied, by the way, the so-called Teología del Pueblo, Theology of the People, that is a kind of trend, a non-Marxist trend of Theology of Liberation. It's the way some theologians and bishops respond to the invitation of Joseph Ratzinger to build a Theology of Liberation without Marxism. And Pope Francis is, 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 is an embodiment of this trend right now. So this kind of trend is not understood, no, it's not even studied, even by the main scholars here in the faculties of, the, of theology. I have talked even with cardinals, important cardinals of the Roman Curia, and they do not grasp exactly what is theology of people right now. They do not grasp uh, the origins, the, the main elements, uh, the main authors, and, and so we need to help Pope Francis to, to be known, to be uh, understood properly. Oh, for sure, he, he, he cannot explain every single detail, every single argument in his very small documents, official documents. He needs to be helped, and I would say this diaconia, this is a true diaconia of intelligence, it has to be done with freedom, with faithfulness, and with sound arguments, facing the contemporary challenges of communication through Facebook, Twitter, through internet, creating events like this one, like the launch of this beautiful book, and I would say this is uh, uh, the mission of our generation. And uh, I hope, I hope <laughs> that we could be more, uh, uh, that we can be more uh, in the next years, because uh, for sure, for sure, we need a new kind of apologetics, more joyful, more rigorous uh, uh, for the contemporary context that is very, very, uh, in some moments, very irrational very passionate, but uh, with a lack of uh, argumentation. And, uh, um, and so we need, we need to recover, let's say, a, a new kind of apologetics for helping the Holy Father and the church to recognize uh, the truth, the truth of Jesus Christ and the truth about man everywhere where it appears. Mainly, if, if, if this is in the words of the Holy Father. 
So we need to, 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 to create a new school, let's say, of apologetics, yeah. I would say. I I would like to commend Rodrigo for bringing up a very important point, because when I was researching for this book, I, it, it's impressive how uh, people in the Anglo-Saxon world and or in, even in America, they live in this epistemological bubble. Okay, uh, since most of the Catholic media exists in English and comes from Americans, they created this uh, this bubble, and they have insulated themselves in, inside this bubble. So they have these authors that they view as legitimate and as credible, and they they cannot grasp that Catholicism is so much bigger than yes. this bubble. So when something something seems like it doesn't fit into the bubble, they think, oh, it's heresy. But what I found is, uh, and this is also one of the ways my book is complementary with Stephen Walford, is that when I started researching, since I'm Portuguese, I have a uh, Romance language background, okay? So I can kind of understand Spanish, Italian, uh, Portuguese, of course, and even French. Um, and I noticed by researching uh, theological works in these languages, romance languages, it's much easier to find theological articles that perfectly grasp perfectly grasp what the Morsel Tietz is all about and explain it in orthodox terms. I found precisely two articles in Spanish by Dr. Rodrigo in theological uh, journals. I found also the works from Archbishop Victor Fernandez. I found that book from Rocco Buccilioni, which is only in Italian, the friendly response to Morris Letizia. I also based myself a lot on it. Some articles in French, in Brazilian Portuguese, and People outside of the Anglo-Saxon world seem to have some less difficulty in understanding what Amoris Laetitia is all about. And people who are for, in the Anglo-Saxon world, who are formed by these authors, by this Catholic media, will never have access to those because they only speak English. So what I try to do in this book is precisely translate some of these new ideas, some of these ideas that are uh, until now were not in English, to try to refresh a bit this stale uh, theological background that we see in America. As Dr. Rodrigo said, one of the things that is very interesting is precisely the theology of the people. Okay, so um, People in the American world, uh, they see Marxism and rightfully so, they condemn it. But Joseph Ratzinger, precisely the CDF, asked to see, and this is a very Catholic thing, to see what can be salvaged and what should be thrown away. And they said, maybe you can try to create a theology of liberation without the Marxism, okay? And that's the theology of the people. But 
and Pope Francis is very much imbued with that, but uh, people in America see something that is different and they think, no, no, this is the, the Marxist theology of liberation. This is illegitimate. People need to expand the, their horizons a bit more, but it's also not, it's also, they also need to be exposed to different authors besides this, these pundits in Catholic media that have monopolized everything and that are not giving us the full picture. Let, let, me, say is much than this. let me say something that connects theology of people and Amoris Laetitia. It's a concept that John Paul II introduced in Familiaris Consortium, a very small concept called a, a, a pastoral a, uh, graduality, pastoral graduality. This concept was very important in Latin America, not only in the field of the ministry for families, but in the whole pastoral work of the, of the church. This concept helped the theology of people to be patient, to believe in processes, to stop demanding in a second the adequate answer and to wait for a, pro, a human or a communitary process that has to be, let's say, uh, 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 has, we have to take care of the process little by little. This is one of the most interesting ideas of theology of people and the, the theology of Jorge Mario Bergoglio, the so-called principle of time is more important than space. That when you explain this principle, it means that you need to believe that maybe you are going to put the seed and you are not going to see the last moment of the process. But it's very important to start the process and to be patient. Pastoral graduality does not mean graduality in the field of law. It's graduality in the field of pastoral work. In other words, patience, mercy, companionship to the one who is needed of discovering truth, objective truth, very, very objective, but with patience, <laughs> respecting that the grace of God works in different speeds in every single person. This is very Jesuitic. This is very Catholic, I would say. All the, all the main... <clears throat> of Catholic spirituality, maybe St. John of the Cross, St. Therese, have not read Amoris Laetitia, but they were very, very uh, sharp, recognizing that every soul is in a fight, is in difficulties, and we need to care about this soul with tenderness, mercy, patience, in order to show the objective truth by little. This element is one of the core ideas of theology of people, and at the same time, one of the core ideas in Amoris Laetitia. So before we before we wrap up, I want to, I want to do some housekeeping real quick, um, because Pedro gave me a list of things I needed to say. So... <laughs> um, Okay, so once again, a reminder, if you order from Width and Stock, and the link should be available on where Peter is, Facebook, and uh, and YouTube, um, and order the book from there, and you use the promo code AMORIS, 
you'll get 50% off. Um, Smart Cat. For the whole month of March. For the whole month of March. March. Month of March, yes. So if you're you're not watching this in March 2022, then you're going to have to pay full price um <laughs> then but by then there might be an ebook that'll be a little cheaper um we also want to talk about uh smart catholics is going to host a hangout um uh via anyone wants to hang out with pedro and ask questions zoom you know that kind of thing uh, our friend dominic uh de souza who is a um uh, he he runs smart catholics and he's provided our discussion forum for where Peter is when comments just got out of control and it's like, well, but I still want to build up that community. You know, would it be okay if we directed people to your forum and very graciously did. And I think it's helped build up both communities, but smartcatholics.com, Um, and there will be information, uh, you know, sign up, it's free and then sign up to join that hangout. Um, Pedro also says he's going to set up a Facebook page, Facebook page and Twitter handle for the book. Um, and it's going to have uh, some of the some of the teasers for the arguments, and I think you should take up the Austin's suggestion and maybe do little videos uh, mm-hmm. that direct people towards the book. Um, one of the funny things is when you work with a, a smaller publisher, is you know you might get a week's notice that the book's going to come out. They might give you a month where it's supposed to come out, and then all of a sudden one day it's available. And, <laughs> and so it uh, so Pedro's book went on the market. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and and now here we are. Um, <laughs> and finally, and I don't know if I updated this on every site, but PedroGabrielWriter.com uh, is his website. I will, it'll be in the YouTube notes. Somebody asked whether this is recorded. Yes, this will remain on YouTube. It'll remain on Facebook. Um, if I get around to it, I'll convert it to audio and make it a podcast. Um very unrefined podcast, but it'll be, you know, if people want to listen to this in their car, if they, if they miss some of the discussion. Um, so, yeah. So I think, did I miss any other announcement type things? Um, I don't, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, I uh, just, uh, I just, uh, I don't know if you said this, but that hangout that I'm going to host with, um, with people who want to get to talk and ask questions it's going to be next week at the same at the same hour okay, okay. Uh, so next saturday same hour if someone wants to hang around in the zoom session and uh, ask questions or say something or meet me i'll be available great so to, to wrap up why don't we have a quick last word we'll go in the reverse order of how i met of how i met them uh, well, quick word from Rodrigo, from Austin, from Stephen, and then Pedro will give you the floor to give your big speech or or your goodbye, whatever you want to say. But uh, just to, for our last and, 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 and let me give my own, you know, testimony. And, I, I you know, it's like Pedro and I, I wrote this in the piece. You know, Pedro was one of the original four contributors to where Peter is. Um, he was our workhorse. Um, it's kind of funny because you sort of met your wife through this online community, <laughs> but, you know, back when he was a single man, he was, he was the guy who would crank out article after article after article and, and really got into the nitty gritty of each of these things. And every time, you know, one of, uh, one of our readers says that Pedro is their favorite writer. I say, I taught him everything he knows. No, I don't say, but, <laughs> but no, he's, he's, he's done just tremendous work. And, and it's, and that's the thing. It's like, I'm, I tend to get a little abstract. I tend to get a little bit emotional, and Pedro is the guy 
who gets to the brass tacks. Like, what's the issue? What's the question? I'm going to address it. Mike, stop bothering me with your ideas. I'm going to address the question that's in front of me right now, you know? Um, and, and I'm just, I'm very proud that this book has come out. You've got a lot of good things going on. You've got fiction. Uh, so Pedro Gabriel writer is the website that you would go to.com. Pedro Gabriel writer.com is a website you go to, to learn about what Pedro is doing. I find out what's going on in his life from his website because he doesn't always tell me, uh, <laughs> but, um, great work, Pedro. And so, and Rodrigo. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, just I want to say that uh, Pedro Gabriel's work is maybe one of the most important examples of hermeneutic of reform. This expression was introduced by Benedict XVI on two th in, in the year 2005 when he was talking to the Roman Curia in the Christmas message. And after saying this, he explained the concept of hermeneutic of reform. He immediately said, hermeneutic of renewal in the continuity of the one subject church which the Lord has given to us. In many occasions, we say that hermeneutic of continuity is opposed to hermeneutic of rupture. I would say that what is truly opposed to the hermeneutic of rupture is this kind of efforts, like Pedro Gabriel's book, which are renewal in the continuity, creative fidelity, as I said in one article in L'Observatore Romano, creative fidelity, because we can see, let's say, like in the, like in the jeweler's shop, like, like when you are looking at a handcraft, in the very moment of making something, you are looking how the church is, is growing in depth is understanding better the permanent deposit of faith, but in a new context and making the effort for exploring something that is always bigger than our concepts. So thank you, Pedro Gabriel, for your book, because you help us thank a you. lot to love the true church of Jesus Christ, that is a church alive, moving, uh, uh, it's a moving, it's an experience that not it's only moving in the, in the sense of that we are moved, but it's it's something that is in motion, that is in motion, that is growing in depth in the in a process of matureness for responding to the contemporary challenges with the light of the gospel. Thank you, Pedro Gabriel. Austin. Uh, well, just from uh, just to go back from to where we started in this conversation, which was, as it were, the spiritual issue that's at the heart of the objection uh, of the resistance to Amoris Laetitia. And I think Pedro named, nails it very clearly at the beginning of the book. This is a kind of modernism. And what we've seen in the Anglo-Saxon world in this resistance to Francis in general, but Amoris Laetitia was a signal moment in the building of that resistance or, or uh, many, many people who had been, as it were, uh, keeping their powder dry after Morris Letizia went into an open frontal attack. And of course, what Morris Letizia exposed was ideology, was Gnosticism, was modernism, was the, 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 the arrogance, the pride, uh, as Stephen put it, of, of, of people. And, and of course, so much this was in the Anglo-Saxon world because so many Catholics, sadly, had become invested in a kind of political, cultural war 
which was all about the defense of certain positions. And so anything which appeared to be nuanced was unacceptable to them because they were busy fighting a battle. Um, and so I think what Amor Sitsitsi does is dethrone uh, that, uh, that crusade. Uh, and quite rightly, because the gospel is not about crusades. Um, and but, but I, I totally hear when Pedro says the Anglo-Saxon world, in terms of theological and apologetical debate around this subject, is extremely limited. The, the, the level of thinking, uh, the literature, the level of insight is extremely poor. And I think what Pedro's book exposes, and Stevens does as well, but I think what Pedro's book shows so well is that Amoris Letizia was the fruit of a deeply Catholic, ecclesial, global, Episcopal, synodal process of discernment. In other words, it is, it is, deep, it is deeply Catholic. And so, uh, and that is why, by the way, Amoris Letizia is not some idea of Pope Francis. It is the fruit of a very long ecclesial discernment, the biggest and most important ecclesial discernment process since the Second Vatican Council. And so I think what Francis does in Amoris Letizia is express the consensus that arises through that discernment. And of course, in most bishops, in most parts of the world, and particularly in the Catholic world, which is now mostly, as we know, in the developing world, and particularly Latin America, Amoris Letizia makes perfect sense. It's been a huge liberation. It has been a return to the essence and the, uh, of Catholic doctrine. And it has been a liberation and emancipation and a spiritual gift and a pastoral gift to the church. Uh, but the Anglo-Saxon world hasn't caught up with that. We're still trapped in, our, in those bubbles, those hermeneutic bubbles, which Pedro talks about. So the fact that Pedro's book uh, appears at the time that it does, in the way that it does, uh, with, with, that, with that wonderful clarity uh, and the way that he takes down those, those Gnostic and ideological assumptions one by one, and shows just how deeply Catholic Amoris Letizia is. Uh, it's a great gift to the church. And so thank you, Pedro, for, again, for the book. And I really hope everybody reads it. And you know, we, what we need now, and I'm speaking here as an Englishman along with Stephen, what we need now is to receive Amoris Letizia. We, we need to know about Amoris Letizia in every parish, in every diocese. We need pastoral accompaniment programs. Because if the Catholic church doesn't rebuild the family and marriage from the ground up, who will in this world? And that's why Amoris Letizia is necessary. Amoris Letizia is all about rebuilding marriage and family. Uh, and uh, that's why we so badly need it. And that's why this book is so important. Thank you for having me and uh, for being part of this conversation. And I, think, and I think yeah. you bring up a very important point because this debate has distracted from the gift of the church that Amoris Letizia is. It's about five or six paragraphs and specifically one footnote in one chapter of the book. Whereas, and I think Pedro very definitively answers the objections and that can help us to finally receive this, this beautiful document in the way that we need to. So Stephen, uh, any, any parting thoughts for, for Pedro or on Amoris Letizia or Pope Francis? Yeah, so, um, well, first of all, again, I'd just like to reiterate, you know, Congratulations to Pedro on a, on a fantastic achievement. Um, wonderful to have it published and have that the opportunity for people to read it. Again, I would strongly encourage to, uh, for people to read it. Um, one thing I would perhaps just, just sort of finish with, and uh, I would agree with everything that Austin just said uh, completely, and, and with Rodrigo's uh, talking about the, the reform 
um, looking this from this the historical process and 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 uh, and moving forward. Um, I think that, that John Paul II obviously started this, this whole issue of, of, of uh, theology of mercy, um, and obviously it comes comes from the uh, mystical revelations of Saint Faustina as well. But Pope Francis has really taken this on, and I think the reality is, if, if we're just discerning where the Holy Spirit is taking the Church, is that mercy is now going to be where the Church is led continuously, and I think until until the day the Lord returns, whenever that is. And there's this 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 concept within Catholic theology that the the closer we come, go through history, the more the Church has to learn to imitate Jesus. It has to come closer. And when we go back to, um, you know, the reforms, the orders and the, the Dominicans, Franciscans that sort of fought the, the corruption and the issues of the Middle Ages, um, and we've had similar issues in, 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 in recent times as well. Um, th this papacy, I think, is, is trying to shake the, the, the dust um, off the church, the dirt, the filth. I remember actually, it was actually Pope Benedict, I think it was in his speech to the Roman Curio in maybe 2010, pre-Christmas one, where he mentioned an image of St. Hildegard had been given in a vision of a, you know, a, a, a woman who represented by the church in, you know, a filthy garment. Um, and the, the, the church has to sort of learn to embrace mercy more and more and, and not again, not at the expense of truth. One one point I would just, I was going to mention earlier on that uh, when I was writing my own book, I used to uh, pray quite often in the church, in my local Catholic church, that if this book was misunderstood, I would rather it never be published. That was the, I, I, I couldn't face an idea that it would be, you know, not accepted in the way it should be or twisted. Um, I want, you know, I wanted it to be understood as the, the, I'm, I'm trying to show that Pope Francis is teaching the authentic doctrines of the church, um, that he has the authority to, to teach in a way he has in, an altar sacramental discipline, but it is mercy rooted in truth that is the key. And therefore, um, what I'm, what I really hope with Pedro's book is that this will be, uh, you know, not a, a, a way of showing people that this is, this is the authentic path that the Holy Spirit is leading a church through. The church has to become more like Jesus. That, and that's what I love. I love the uh, the image on the front cover of the of Jesus and the, the woman at the well. Look how Jesus spoke to that lady, the woman at the, the well. Um, this was this was Jesus getting into the life of this woman. She went home evangelizing. Um, and 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 this is the key. And and this is where Pope Francis is not understood. And, and he's not understood because for a lot of people, unfortunately, are not leading authentic Catholic lives. I think that's just that. I mean, we're, we're all sinners. We're all at fault um, in in lots of different ways. But there has to be that sincerity of of uh, and humility of trying to find, you know, who is Jesus? Um, who is Jesus in my life? Who is Jesus in the life of the church? Um, and we have to see Jesus in all these people in these 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 terribly complex. Uh, situations to not condemn them, um, but to, to try and gently lead them um, towards heaven. And and this is what I love Pope, about Pope Francis so much. And so well done, uh, 
Pedro again. And, and I, I, I pray that uh, the Lord will touch people's hearts through the reading of your book. Um, for those that have got issues with Pope Francis, but also maybe those people who, um, you know, struggling in situations, genuine struggling and, uh, and are not sure how, how they can feel integrated into the life of the church again. And I, I really, really hope that uh, your book will, will help in those different areas um, of, of life of Christians. They're well done again. It's a mercy is a, and healing, I think is this book can help heal the church and, you know, Amoris Letitia was geared towards healing the wounds. So, um, Pedro, uh, thank you everyone for your, for your, for showing up and for your insights. Pedro, the floor is yours. Okay, so uh, once again, I thank you all for being here. It has been an honor and a privilege. I second Stephen Walford's um, wish that uh, this book will uh, not never be uh, used to promote anything that it's not meant to be. I am concerned, obviously, with the orthodoxy of Amoris Laetitia. Orthodoxy is for me a very important thing. It's important to note that no one in this panel has ever said that Amoris Laetitia should be implemented at the cost of truth. We all want the truth of the church to remain, the eternal truth of the church remains. The eternal truth about the indissolubility of marriage remains. About mortal sin, it remains. Nothing has been changed on that core. We are all in favor of that. We are all orthodox about that. So no one here is trying to get this document as a kind of Trojan horse to promote liberal ideologies that go against uh, the Catholic teaching. No one is in favor of modernism. In fact, as Austin said in my book, I actually say being against Amoris Laetitia is a form of modernism. It's a way of saying, no, the magisterium is not, does not belong to the Pope and the bishops in communion with him. It belongs to uh, people on the internet commenting they know better than the Pope. This is modernism. The modernists were never faithful to the Pope. The modernists were completely unconcerned about the magisterium. So the, the modernism does not lie here in Pope Francis in Amoris Laetitia. And to finalize, I would also like to take on something that Mike Lewis has said which is um, the fact that um, a more, the, a more, we, I hope that this will help us assimilate Amoris Laetitia because Amoris Laetitia is a very beautiful document, the chapter in which Pope Francis explains and dissects the, the anthem of charity, the anthem of love of St. Paul is profoundly beautiful, profoundly beautiful. But people are just focusing on this specific instance, which is important. It's the salvation of many people who are divorced and remarried hinges on this. And even the fact that the healing of their wounds hinges on this. It's important, but it's not the whole picture. And Pope Francis 
very clearly said in several instances, one of them actually in a preface that he wrote for Stephen Wolfer's book, he, he says how saddened he is that Morzatisi was not received because everyone is focused on just this little bit. So I hope that this will help people open their hearts to Amoris Letizia, to open their hearts to Pope Francis, not be afraid. It's not heresy. So that they may receive the totality of this document. And I'll just finish by saying this. Amoris Letizia is for me uh, one of the most important documents that came out uh, during the 21st century. It's prone to be from, in my opinion, the next Humanae Vitae, and I all I want to I want to bring people's attention to this. Humanae Vitae had so much resistance. Why? We in the apologetics movement we keep saying because it was a prophetic, a prophetic document. It was a document in which the church solidified something that was important. And that's why Humanae Vitae was so diabolically attacked. And that's the same reason why Amoris Letizia has been so diabolically attacked. We can sense that the devil does not want this document to come to fulfillment. And we must be sensitive to this. We have must have discernment on this. And we must try to push back against this resistance. It is very important that Amoris Letizia be implemented in this day and age. Well, I think that's a great note to stop on. Um, thank you to all of our guests. Uh, thank you to Pope Francis for the gift of, of Amoris Letizia. Thank you, Pedro, for writing this book. Um, Thanks for this mini trip to Europe that I've taken <laughs> today. Um, great, here I am in 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 the Washington D.C. area, and usually it's you know getting up, getting Pedro up at you know two in the morning to, <laughs> to join in a live stream or something like that. But uh, we're doing it prime time in in Europe and uh, mid afternoon in in the U.S. So um, once again, the book is the Orthodoxy of Amoris Laetitia by Pedro. Gabriel, Gabriel, I can't pronounce. Do you want to pronounce it in Portuguese just so we can? <laughs> Pedro Gabriel. Yeah, I can't. I can't. Exactly. It's uh, not Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, the Orthodoxy of Amoris Letitia, it's 50% off in the month of March. If you order it from Whip and Stock, the link should be below where you're watching it right now unless you're watching it on twitter and then you can go watch it on youtube or, or on where peter is um and uh thank you so much everyone for joining us it was great having you god bless and we will see you soon hopefully we'll have more live events in the near future thank you